Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Do the Collapse by Guided by Voices. Sometimes you get a guitar intro and then he just starts singing and he pretty much doesn't stop until the song's over. That the most beloved albums are some of the worst sounding. I don't know, man. There's some songs on here that I just think are amazing. I mean, it's a pop song, is a pop song, is a pop song. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, I am doing my radio announcer voice tonight. Oh, it's a new one. Yes. Sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> Sounds like uh, Rush Limbaugh or something. Friends. Um, I'm just excited because we are getting to do a Guided by Voices album, Jay. Which is, when you're talking about the 90s, for most, for some people, the only band that existed was Guided by Voices. We call those people crazy. Yeah, but, that's why we're, we're treading lightly into this catalog. Well, you know, the way that I look at it is, as everybody knows, we are not doing Alien Lanes or B-1000 or Under the Bushes, Under the Stars. We are tackling the 1990. Nine, no, 98 yep. album. Is it 99 uh-huh. or 98? I've seen 99 everywhere I look. Yeah, 99. But... Uh, album Do the Collapse, which is easily the most contra- controversial album that this band ever released. If they had released an album of Bob Pollard uh, speaking Spanish uh, recipes... And um, urinating onto, I don't know what, that might be the more controversial episode, but or, yeah. or uh, album, but no, this one is. And we'll get to why, but Jay, you were familiar with this band sure. and this record. Of course, we they are a Dayton, Ohio band. We are in Ohio. It's pretty much, you have to know who Guided by Voices are if you listen to music in Ohio. Now, outside of Ohio, I can understand if some of you people are like, who the hell are Guided by Voices? Don't worry, we're going to explain, because there there isn't another band like Guided by Voices. I think that's fairly safe to say, in terms of their output, and in terms of their, I guess, legendary status. Nobody really matches what... And when we talk about Guided by Voices, what we're really talking about is Bob Pollard, yeah. the, the man who runs the show i guess we should just get into the history of the band let's just do that yeah i don't know where you're going with that let's just i'm doing move it along. i'm move going along. all right history of the band guided by voices formed in dayton ohio in 1983 by robert pollard who has been the only consistent member of the band now i'm going to jump ahead here and tell you that the band disbanded in 2004 but then reunited in 2010 for some shows. They uh, got together to record in 2011. They recorded two albums in 2011. The first one came out in January of 2012 called Let's Go Eat the Factory. And then conveniently enough, as this episode airs, their second album of 2012 comes out called Class Clown Spots a UFO. And they have a third album coming out called Bears for Lunch in uh, later in 2012. So they are going to put out more albums 
in one year than Nine Inch Nails put out in a decade. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, first album. Actually, let's just say first four albums. Devil Between My Toes and Sandbox came out in 1987. Self-Inflicted Aerial Nostalgia came out in 1989. And Same Place the Fly Got Smashed in 1990. These were all self-financed. They were limited run albums, and they were mostly given to, given to family and friends. Their fifth album, Propeller, came out in 1992. They made 500 copies, each with its own unique handmade cover, and they actually gave this to people outside of Dayton, which got them some recognition. And the following year, the band started to tour opening shows for Sonic Youth, R.E.M., The Breeders. Breeders, of course, also being a Dayton, Ohio band. In 1994, B-1000 was distributed through Matador, then the band signed officially to Matador. The following year, their first official Matador release came out, Alien Lanes. In 96, the band recorded on 24-track for the first time. Now, we should explain that all these previous albums were either recorded to four tracks or just directly to boom boxes. This is what we call lo-fi for you kids playing at home. <laughs> low, low fidelity. So that album which was recorded by a, actually a number of people, including Steve Albini and Kim Deal from The Breeders, amongst others, was released as Under the Bushes, Under the Stars. The following year, the band, which had gone through lineup changes, was completely replaced by the band Cobra Verde, a Cleveland band, to back up Bob Pollard, and they recorded the album Mag Earwig in 98... The band left Matador and signed to Capitol Records. They recorded the album due to the collapse, but Capitol didn't like what they heard, so they actually released the album through TVT Records. Now, the note on that record is Rick Ocasek of The Cars produced it. In 2000, the four-disc Suitcase Rarities release came out. In 2001, the album Isolation Drills, their second for TVT, was released, which then promptly dropped them, and they went back to Matador. 2002, Universal Truths and Cycles. 2003, Earthquake Glue. 2004, Half Smiles of the Decomposed was the last official uh, Guided by Voices album before the hiatus. In 2005 and 2009, two additional suitcase rarities box sets were released. Now, that's a lot of albums. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, in 18 years, going back from 2012 to 18 years back, what is that? What's 2012 minus 18, J? Is that 1994? Is that right? Say it again. 2012 minus 18. 18? Yeah. 1994. 1994. Every year, in 18 years, Bob Pollard released 18 solo albums. Crazy. That's okay. That's not all. <laughs> he also released 29 other recordings with 14 different side project bands. Yeah. It's like the he's, guy's he's recording just every waking moment. Basically, he, he wakes up, he records a song, he takes a shit, he goes, he writes a song, he has <laughs> breakfast, he records a song. He's eating a sandwich while recording a song. Yes. The man is. Legendary. No wonder he had to record. He started recording them all on boomboxes. Yeah, 
just walks around the boombox all day and just just sings and plays and records songs. So that's the history. That's the extremely abbreviated. This doesn't even count the EPs, the singles. There are thousands, thousands of Bob Pollard songs. The man, I believe he has written more music than anybody on the history, in the history of rock and roll. But I could be wrong, but I'm fairly certain of that. This takes us to the dig me out portion where we say thank you for somebody to for sponsoring unfortunately we did not have a sponsor this week you can sponsor us by sending us a donation we'll even let you sponsor us if you buy a t-shirt you just let us know you say hey i bought a t-shirt and we'll say thank you for sponsoring us and we will put your name right here it's just that simple folks and we will praise you we will we will be effusive with our praise jay we got some facebook feedback what do we got john share old friend of the show john share Mm-hmm. says that is some great stuff i think most of the quote-unquote hardcores thought the shift towards more accessible material was less genuine for gbv that's the abbreviation of guided by voices by the way but i think it's their best period they bounced so well between the extremes of edgier but still pop rock and the abstract that made their reputation for me too much of either made the made for a lesser band so jay mm. do you agree with john that this is the best period of Guided by Voices? Or are you one of those hardcores who like the boombox lo-fi recordings? <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with them. This album and um, Do the Claps, or I'm sorry. Uh, isolation Drills. Isolation Drills are the two I'm most familiar with and the two that I connected with most. I agree. It's an interesting when when the albums are produced well. I don't think they're overproduced in any way. I think if they're produced well in terms of I can hear the band and all the people playing instruments, <laughs> and you know there's a little bit of craft around um, you know uh, composing parts and you know song structures and those kinds of things. I think it does offer a really unique interplay between you know their quirkiness and sort of some of the odd tendencies that they have, but it can shift on a dime and become just a great pop song. And I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that like kind of back and forth that happens on this record between being very unique and a little bit eccentric to being super hooky and memorable. And, you know, you're, got the melody stuck in your head you know immediately and you're singing along to it to me that's that's the whole point you know and i i wouldn't get i guess i don't get what why would you want to hear a band not at least you know at least sound as good as they would if you were in the room right like i get Mm -hmm. i love real sounding recordings you know where it sounds like i'm right there with the band in the room why would i want it to sound worse than that like what is the point? I don't I don't really get that. Do you? I don't either, and I've always struggled with the fact that the most beloved albums are some of the worst sounding. And I understand that there is a philosophy that goes along with the lo-fi recording recording ethic that you're capturing something pure and you're capturing something that's raw, but I'm here to tell you folks, it's it's kind of bullshit. And I'll tell you why. It was as much a product 
that was being delivered to people that wanted to hear a certain type of product as any other product. And I don't think that I don't think that Bob Pollard made shitty sounding records because he wanted to. I think he had he had to make a record the only way that he could make a record. In, in 1983 in Dayton, Ohio, you couldn't find a, you know, $50 an hour recording studio that was going to give you really good fidelity. And he didn't have the money for it. He was a school teacher. Right, he didn't have the money to do that. This was done in his basement with his friends when they were drinking beers when they were on summer break. Yeah. He's so, obviously pr- prolific in terms of, you know, he's <laughs> when he's inspired, he wants to go. So mm-hmm. if, when you're in that uh, situation to say, like, you know, I'm inspired. I got a bunch of stuff. I want to get it out to, like, work with some local studio, which is going to be, at that time, super expensive, like exorbitantly expensive for a school teacher. Um to work with them to like block out time to go in and do that. It's just like not realistic. So everybody was pulling out their Tascom or, you know, boom boxes or whatever to be able to record, you know, whatever way they could. And none of it sounded great, but to say, I, you know, that you prefer it or, or not that you prefer that, but I mean, maybe the material on that stuff, it just speaks so much to some people that, you know, that's really what matters. But to, to, to kind of thumb your nose at these records, which, just because they sound clear, is ridiculous. I, yeah, I, I guess if you say like the material isn't good, you, I can hear that argument. But to just say it's because of the production, I just I don't I don't get that one at all. No, clearly he wanted to make better sounding records, which is why the whole point of making this record and and his the the bands that he was clearly influenced by, which were the Beatles, the mm-hmm. Who, Cheap mm-hmm. Trick, the Stones. Those bands made good sounding records and they experimented in the recording studio. That's not to say that you can't experiment with lo-fi. I mean, there were some weird recordings that Guided by Voices did that were studio experiments and they were clearly trying different things. They were writing, I don't want to say progressive rock, but there are elements to some of his writing that gets into like Genesis, like 70s Genesis, not Phil Collins Genesis. It gets a little weird at points, but it's always grounded in British invasion pop. And when you listen to those, when you listen to B Thousand, you listen to Alien Lanes, and you listen to like the key tracks on those albums, super melodic guitar rock in the vein of 60s and 70s pop and rock. That's what he's going for. Yep. And when you hear a song like Motor Away or Tractor Rape Chain or one of those tracks that are like the key tracks and you hear the album version and then you hear them play it live the live version has so much more energy and so much you hear you can hear the, what the whole band is doing yeah just, i think it's so disingenuous that like because it's recorded with tape hiss and because it's recorded with the drums having an inaudible kick drum and you know one of the guitars is slightly out of tune that that's somehow more authentic than Rico Kasich sitting down with a song like Teenage FBI and saying god damn this is a great pop song you know what this would sound cool with let's add a little bit of like a, a synth at the beginning and then let's let's add some keyboard parts during the chorus to bring out more of the melody i mean it's a pop song is a pop song is a pop song someone tell me why i do the things that i Somebody else 
combination of, of them and Rick Ocasek is really, really interesting. I wish they would have done another album together. Um, you know, with all the things you said, like, I think he brought out um, some new things in them and enhanced some things in them and I, I think probably pushed them in some ways, you know? I, some of the other albums have some songs on them where they, they're obviously just like little spurts of ideas that aren't don't really go anywhere. You know, they're mm-hmm. like 30 seconds long or something. There's not quite as much of that going on in this record. Sort of like even the ones that are short, like a minute or so long, they still sort of have like, they still seem finished in some ways. Right. And I think he uh, he also brought, I, I even heard like on tracks um, three, Things I'll Keep and um, in just track five, I even heard some like Elliot Easton style guitar stuff going on there. Like so like in Stitches it introduces... You know, towards the end of the song, there's like a guitar solo that is very melodic and almost has a whole new kind of hook to it. Um, very much in the, like sort of the early car stuff. Um, oh, yeah. Where we put these, you know, these these parts in towards the end where it was just, you know, a guitar solo that kind of had a life of its own, that kind of thing. And just some of the other uh, guitar texturing kind of reminded me of the cars. I mean, the immediate thing you notice, obviously, track one, you hear that synth and you're like, okay, there's something different going on here. And then there's um, a couple other synth parts in that song where you're like, okay, that sounds like the Cars. But I think it goes even deeper than that. You know, I think it's structurally uh, what's going on in the songs. It, it sounds, it seems like a little, you know, they're better crafted in terms of being a little bit more concise. But um, and the, the hooks are enhanced. You know, there's some thought given to you know how how the courses are delivered to make them sound a little bit bigger. But none of it is artificial sounding. I think that's the thing that I don't really get. I mean, you know, the, the vocals aren't tuned. There's not like unnecessary, you know, layers of keyboards to kind of mm-hmm. try to beef things up. There's not unnecessary guitar overdubs. You know, yeah, some of the guitars are doubled, but not all the time. I don't really think that's a sin. I mean, when, the, when they play live, they double mic all the guitars anyway. So it sort of sounds like that anyway. And there's some really good... Uh, uh, there's some awesome, frankly, guitar tones on this. They're really unique. You know, they're kind of crunchy but full. You know, contrast his voice in a really cool way. I don't know, man. There's some songs on here that I just think are amazing in terms of songwriting and and uh, yeah. There were a couple I wanted to I wanted to highlight. One is Surgical Focus, which is almost as good a song as Teenage FBI is. Focus. She stared at me 
killer chorus. It's a little bit of synth in there to spice it up. Another one I really like is uh, Wormhole, which I was thinking about, what does this sound like? Because it was kind of banging around in my head for a while. Because it's got this like four on the floor beat. It just kind of explodes when you get to the chorus parts. And then there's this like slide guitar. I was like, this sounds uh, like oh, almost you know what it like, sounds like Greg Dooley. It reminded me of like a Twilight Singers African Wig song. That song reminds me of Butterfly Collector from the, the jam, almost to the point where either influenced by or reference, you know, it's it's pretty damn close in terms of the feel. And and that's a band that I didn't really think of in terms of being an influence on them. But when you listen to a song like that and a song like uh, Mr. Clean, some of the stuff that's like mid-tempo-y and not quite, you know, it's not as fast. The mm-hmm. phrasing and the vocal style is very similar to Bob Pollard. You know, I've always known he's a big Beatles fan, but he, at times he can sound a little bit like John Lennon, but his voice doesn't really sound like the Beatles. So right. at first that was always like not apparent to me until I really listened to the music and the melodies. And then I was like, oh yeah, okay, I can hear the Beatles now. But like vocally, um, the phrasings and even his, his uh, vocal range and tone and delivery sound a lot like the jam. I am an earthworm. things that did bother me a little bit which i think it works better on isolation drills which i actually i like that album better but we're not going to review it because it's a 2001 album is there i still i feel like there are times when he's trying to jam words in to yeah that don't work one of the ones that really sticks out which is actually a good song uh, is hold on hope it's you know a lot of people know that because it was on an episode of scrubs and it was probably the bigger single, I think, than Teenage FBI for this album. When he gets to the bridge, it is just this wordy concoction of cowboy and all these things that don't, like these words that don't fit the melody. And it's just, it's messy. And I think that that's the one yeah. thing that dealing with this very clean and and pristine production of Rico Kasic, all of a sudden that weirdness sort of stands yeah. out. Everybody's got a hold on hope It's the last thing That's holding me Look at the talk box And the new frustration At the station Yeah, that's the cowboy 
that's even a part of a song where you're like, don't even need the vocal. You know, he could have probably just stopped singing and let it be because the music builds up there. You know, there's then there's some other stuff going on. I think they introduced strings at that point. And yeah, um, he could have probably taken a break from singing, which now that I think about it, I don't think he does very much. (laughs) (laughs) No, like you kind of get a guitar intro and then sometimes you get a guitar intro and then he just starts singing and he pretty much doesn't stop until the song's over. Um, And sometimes he's, you know, the opening note is his voice. So. Yeah, I could, uh, I could, uh, that bridge, you know, it's a, it's a bit odd. And it, I think it's just, it's only odd just because the rest of the song is just so accessible in terms of being a ballad, you know, and it's so commercially comfortable in that space. And then there's that bridge, which is kind of brings out the quirkiness that, you know, had they not done that, you know, knows maybe the song would have been even bigger. But, uh, and, and obviously there's some other songs like, Liquid Indian, you know, it's funny you brought up Genesis, Peter Gabriel Genesis, and the verses on that sound exactly like Peter Gabriel Genesis. They even have the the weird synth in them, and uh-huh. the the vocal is like the cadence and everything is super strange in the verses to the point where it's like barely makes sense what he's doing, and then all of a sudden it gets to this chorus and the chorus is huge and awesome. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up. It's a great <laughs> chorus. And then they go back to this weird Genesis part. You're like, what the hell? Just, I mean, in a way, you're like, God, that was, that was nuts, but it was kind of awesome. <laughs> like, I don't know what just happened. There's it a it almost songs. made me think like those were like two different songs that they jammed together. You know, it sort of made me think like on these record, on this record, did like I said earlier, you know, where yeah, he would have these uh, on some other albums, he would have these little sp- you know spurts of songs or little ideas that were, were seemed unresolved. I wonder if they. In a case like that, maybe jammed a couple of them together because they were in the same key and just made one song out of it, you know? That's entirely possible. It kind of works in a weird way, though. The Quaker seal of approval More movies Less trivial pursuit I'm a born-again boot-stomping witch-humper are we there yet? The skips and flips are taking sips of This album, and especially Isolation Drills, which is probably my favorite Guided by Voices album, I think it's flawless. I don't think there's a bad track on there. I don't think there's an odd vocal phrasing on there the way that there are in a few spaces here. It's got just two of the best singles that he's ever written in Glad Girls and Chasing Heather Crazy. I mean, it's just front to back, just a great record. And it's not, you know, it helps that it's not 23 songs. You know, this this one is definitely helped by the fact it's only 16 songs. Even though it's 16 songs, it's still pretty short because there's a couple songs that are under two minutes. Yeah, they go fast. I mean, these albums all go fast, even though there's a lot of tracks because this, yeah, a lot of the songs are so short, like you said. 
And they, really, the only song that sounds like an old Guided by Voices song is the last song because it's kind of produced lo-fi and it's a mm-hmm. minute and eight seconds, which is classic Guided by Voices. I, I hope people yeah, who little, have dismissed this album will give it another shot because I think it's worthy of listening to. Well, I think those people probably, you know, have already made up their mind and we're not going to convince them otherwise. But I would say while this is fairly successful indie, indie band, believe it or not, there are millions of people in the world that have not heard them. And maybe, you know, a dozen or so are listening to this podcast and want to check them out. I would recommend starting in this area. And if you, you know, if you listen to it and say, eh, this is too slick and <laughs> too, you know, commercial rock sounding for me, well, then just work your way backwards. Or you could probably work your way forward too. But you definitely, definitely, if you work your way backwards, you're going to get into some grittier, more all strange stuff. So, um, but I think these are, you know, if you're, if you're new to the band, which, yes, there are people who will be uh, as good a starting point as any, I would think. Yeah. So is this a worthy album for you, Jay? Yeah, absolutely. I got, you know, the majority of the record highlighted here, Teenage FBI, things like We'll Keep, Hold On Hope, In Stitches, Surgical Focus, which you mentioned as being a great song, you know, even Mushroom Art, which has got a really cool guitar riff in it. That might be that song or In Stitches. I can't remember which one. Oh, it's In Stitches. The main guitar riff, I'm pretty sure is one chord, but like Mm -hmm. just because of the way it's played, you don't even notice, which is always cool when people can pull that off. Wrecking Now, good song. Picture Me Big Time, good song. So, you know, I have I have the majority of the, of the record as being really good songs. And there's a couple even in there I didn't highlight that. Again, they're not bad. They're just a little bit, a little odd, or not quite as hooky as the others. Those are the really ones that that stood out to me. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I highlighted of the 16 songs, there was like 13 that I liked. So. Yep clearly in the in the worthy album area so that's two worthy albums for guided by voices and do the collapse if you dismiss this album back in 1999 when it came out we suggest that you revisit it if you've never heard it we suggest you check it out i think that's it i think what we want to say now is if you like this episode please consider leaving us some positive feedback write us a little note over on itunes and tell us that we're doing a good job if you do think we're doing a bad job, please send that to our email and don't put that on iTunes. <laughs> don't post our dirty laundry for everybody. Actually, to write a letter. Yeah. On paper and mail it to us. That'd be great. We but prefer... don't include any anything with the letter if you're angry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. All right, Jay, thanks for joining me once again. 
And thanks everybody for listening. And we will be back next week for another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening.